Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Kate Otte, a game designer, graphic designer, and artist behind First Ascent. First Ascent is a board game based on her love of rock climbing and is currently on Kickstarter. Kate, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is great having you. Just some really quick uh, housekeeping uh, for those of our podcast listeners, either you're watching live or if you are catching this tomorrow on the audio replay. Uh, this July, uh, we have uh, we have a couple gaps we're going to have in our schedule. So coming this Thursday is Canada Day here in Canada. So we're going to take this Thursday off. The following Monday, because of the July 4th long weekend, we're going to take the Monday off as well. So our, our next podcast we're going to have is the following Thursday, and we will be interviewing Jamie Stegmeyer, which is going to be exciting. We're going to talk about uh, Red Rising, which is uh, an awesome game. It's got a lot of traction behind it. It should be a fun interview. I, my apologies for this past Thursday. I actually uh, did not have a podcast because I was doing a little rock climbing myself. I had a kidney stone, which I would say is the exact opposite of exhilarating. <laughs> so, but I'm back, uh, back in good shape and uh, here to talk to Kate about her uh, rock climbing adventures and uh, hear a little bit more about it. So Kate, how long have you been rock climbing for? Is this something you've been doing your whole life or? Um, well, I did, I did a little bit as a, as a kid. Um, I actually, well, I went to a camp, it was called adventure camp and you, you did rock climb as part of that camp and, you know, learned like rope skills, tying in and things like that. So, and, uh, we did a lot of like high ropes courses, but I wouldn't, I didn't really get into it until after I graduated from college, moved to Philly, um, kind of looking for a different thing to do which Philly is like the weirdest place to get into rock climbing and we're we're not that close to huge huge meccas um but there was a an awesome community here and it it just really worked out like I I just kind of so happened to fall into a group of people that went climbing outside all the time I found mentors to teach me how to climb outside which was really my goal there's some people that that go to the gym and it's really more of like a, a fitness thing, which is yeah. great. Like that's a huge reason why I do it too. But the goal was always to go outside. And so, um, yeah, I just, I met other people that rock climbed and then, um, yeah, I've been doing it for about seven years. Wow. So yeah. now when you first went outside, was it like, is it kind of like when you ski, you start off with little baby hills and you work your way up or did you yeah, kind of go for a big definitely. one? Or? Yeah, you, yeah, you definitely take on, yeah, you start with easy stuff and then you're also take on more responsibility the more you know. You know, at, when you first go, you're kind of relying on other people to do everything for you. They're not, they're setting up the rope for you. They're figuring out what is climbable, you know, what is actually a rock climbing route. Um, you know, there's, there's some areas where it's pretty obvious. There's other areas where it's like a complete blank face of rock. So you, over time, you develop the skills of like knowing, knowing how to interpret a picture or a description and then like looking up at the face and being like, oh yeah, this matches up that I can see where it goes. Um, you learn how to be, how to be in charge of your own safety, um, and kind of assessing risk. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been a process of, um, of just taking on more and more and, uh, taking on more ambitious goals as well. 
Yeah. Now what's the, what's the biggest, uh, rock that you've climbed? Like you've climbed a mountain or. Yeah. The biggest, the biggest feature I've climbed is the chief in Squamish. Um, wow. that took us like, it took us all day. We started at like 4am. We did finish before it got dark out. Um, we finished in the afternoon, but that was, that was definitely the most ambitious thing that we've climbed. It's, um, 14 pitches, a pitch is about a rope length. So basically you climb, I mean, it's not, you don't usually climb till you're like out of rope. You climb to a natural place that's like good to rest, like a ledge. Yeah. And then the, and then you bring the other person up and then you kind of keep doing that. So we did that 14 times. <laughs> wow. Now is this stuff like pre-drilled into the wall, like from previous, or are you actually putting the pins in yourself in some cases? Yeah, so we use, um, yeah, so that specific route is not bolted. Um, so you do put in your, your own protection, but um, I should have grabbed some stuff. There's, Sorry. it's removable. The first person like will basically um, slot like a nut or a camming device into the rock. So the camming device expands. Yeah. Um, and so that way it doesn't damage the rock. It's just using natural constrictions. Um, and then the second person that comes up actually removes it so that there's nothing left behind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And do you have to get like permits and things like that? Like I just started thinking like with nature, like you gotta get permits to even fly a drone nowadays. So like, yeah. like or you just pick a rock and start climbing. Yeah, it's not regulated. There are um, there are some climbing areas like actually Yosemite just introduced a permitting system. Um, there are some backcountry areas that you yeah. need um, uh, you know you you need a, a permit. And um, actually, like there's there's some other areas where the rangers before they let you go in, they'll actually look at your equipment and make sure you have you know, they don't know if you have the skills, but they can at least tell, like, did you come prepared with the right gear? But yeah. those are special circumstances. Like most areas, there is no, no regulation over like, can't, sh does this person have any business being on this route or not? <laughs> and you, what, what, what's the, your aspirations for climbing? Like, do you have an end goal of kind of like a certain, uh, you know, rock you want to climb or? Um, well, yeah, I mean, there's so many, there's so many places I would, I would like to climb in general. I'm attracted to really big routes. I like doing these like all day, mm -hmm. um, endeavors, but I like things that you can do in a day, even if it takes, you know, 24 hours. Um, I mean, I wouldn't mind doing a, doing a like two, two night trip, but as far as, um, like big walls where you're, you're sleeping on the wall for multiple days, I don't. I don't know that I'm necessarily attracted to that. Um, I think, you know, I, I am very involved in the, in the Philadelphia climbing community. I um, actually run a mentoring program with our climbing group. And oh, wow. I, um, I think to kind of facilitate that growing even more, it would be, I think my climbing ambitions are getting more certifications and becoming a guide or um, just doing more training so that I can yeah. facilitate that program like more efficiently. So, yeah. That's cool. And, um, how did this, uh, kind of match up with game? Like, have you been gaming your whole life or is it something that just kind of in between while you're waiting, you pulled out some games or. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I grew up playing cards more than games. I yeah. 
didn't, I don't feel like I was really exposed to modern board games, but I loved playing cards growing up. So I really like strategy. I like figuring things out. I love crossword puzzles. Um, so when I was introduced to modern board games as an adult, it was like, oh my gosh, like this is awesome. Like, you know, I just kind of fell in love with it immediately. And then um, I started working on First Ascent because I was playing a lot of games with other climbers. And it was just like, man, it would be really cool if we had a climbing game to play. Um, so, and I, I always am looking for little side projects. I, I do design work as my day job, but mm. I like having something that's my own to work on um, on the side. So this obviously was like a lot bigger of a side project than I normally take on, but, um, but yeah, I was just like, yeah, this seems, this seems fun. I went into it, not really knowing like what it was going to turn into, but, yeah. uh, yeah, so that's, that's how I got started in it. And, um, a few months, I mean, I just feel so fortunate that PAX Unplugged is in Philly. It's like a 15 minute bike ride yeah. from my house. So, you know, a couple months after I started working on it, I, I went to that, I attended a ton of seminars and then I kind of had my path for, okay, this is how you make a board game. Oh, wow. So you did your research, which is good. Um, now is, is this something you started? Like, like how, like I was looking at the game, which is there's a lot of elements going on, right? So, but it's not an overcomplicated game. So I don't want people to misunderstand and think, oh, if there's too much going on now, like it, you can get the concept of how to play a game. I think you probably describe how to play this game in five, five to 10 minutes easily. Right. From what I've seen. Um, but there is a lot of going on. There's a lot of, uh, really complex components to it. When did this start? Like the actual game itself, like the kind of the first ideation to then when you kind of had your first prototype that you could uh, play with your, uh, you know, test play groups and so forth. Yeah. So I started about three years ago yeah. and my, my initial concept was kind of like adapting ticket to ride, but yeah. for a mountain, but yeah. uh, you know, it was like, well, it, there are a lot more things, you know, that I need to change to make it relevant for rock climbing. So yeah. So many things just evolved from that kind of beginning idea of, um, you know, you're building a route, but obviously you need resources, like you need skills and gear in order to climb. So I feel like from the, my gut feeling of what the game should be has not changed from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like the goal of the game has pretty much stayed the same but over time it's become a lot more nuanced like way more interesting um uh yeah the the way that and even how you plan your route and what kinds of decisions you're making has evolved as well but at, at the core of it just being about getting what you need and planning your way up the mountain has been the same from the beginning that's cool. You can, you can tell there's been a lot of planning, right? And so it's not like people, when they usually launch the first game, we usually start off with something simpler, right? Where this one has a lot of meat on the bone, um, which tells me, A, you've probably played a lot of different types of games that inspired you. And Ticket to Rise is actually something I wrote down. Uh, just the, the card drafting mechanic you have where you kind of put five out and you pick kind of the three you want. And then you, you either pull from the pile or you can pull from the ones laid down. Then you can kind of redraft them out. But that's kind of where the ticket to ride similarly stop, right? And then you go like completely different direction. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to share for people who are actually watching live the uh, Kickstarter page. 
Um, this is uh, something that I think has been pretty awesome. You hit, uh, I think, about 715 backers. Maybe you've had another one since, you know, up to 716 now. Uh, over fifty thousand uh, dollars, which is just incredible. On uh, I'm putting this in Canadian dollars. I know you're in the states, but this is in Canadian dollars. Sounds bigger. Um, <laughs> on a twenty-one thousand dollar goal, so you're you've more than doubled your goal. You're crushing it. You're still got sixteen days to go, which tells me you're probably going to land at least at seventy thousand. Could be anywhere between seventy and a hundred thousand, depending on how your kind of hockey stick goes on the back end. But you're definitely headed towards some. And pretty good numbers. Can you walk us through? I know you can't see it, but the people at home can see it. Um, just the the essence or the, the basic mechanics of how this game works. Like, how do you play this game? Yeah. So um, everyone is is playing as a climber who has a unique ability, and um, you're you're trying to gain the most points as you climb the mountain um, before you run out of rope. So you have a set number of, of rope. You can see the board is made of, up of these individual hex tiles. Those are pitches. That's what I was talking about before, where you have a rope length you can climb before you have to stop. And those so are randomly we, placed each time, right? When you play the game, you shuffle them up and you... Correct. Okay. Yeah, the, the board is pre-balanced. So like the, the it does get harder as you go up, but yeah. there's multiple, so you're not exactly sure. And actually the top half of the mountain is flipped over when you start. You can't see what's up there, um, but you generally know that it's going to be more difficult. And so each each tile, you can you might be able to tell from the small symbols um, that each tile has a different set of um, resources that you'll need in order to climb it. And those resources are there's three different type of climbing skills. There's gear. Um, and then there's also water and psych. So the gear and the skills are cards that you draw throughout the game. The water and psych depletes from your character as you play. What happens when you run out? Do you just stop being able to move or? <laughs> you, you have to rest. You lay your meeple down and then, um, which is actually kind of fun because then you might block somebody, you know, they might mm -hmm. want you to move off of it. But um, yeah, and then when you rest, you can, go back to full or you can build yourself back up a little bit. It's like back up to keep climbing. Mm -hmm, exactly. So, so you're essentially gaining resources uh, throughout the game. You're drawing those cards. You're moving onto, onto the tile, advancing up the mountain. Each tile is also worth a, a certain number of points. Um, and every time you advance onto a new tile, you draw a climbing card, which is an event. Um, all, all of those cards have a, have a, um, a situation and a choice. It gives you two options for how to resolve the situation. Um, and most of those decisions are resource management. They might be affecting other players. You might be modifying the board. Uh, you might be rolling the dice uh, for like, you know, if it's one outcome, you'll get a lot of stuff. If it's another outcome, you're going to lose some stuff. So let's talk a little bit about that. Cause when I was looking at that, I thought that was a very interesting little mechanic where at one point, if you don't have all the resources you need, if you don't have all that, like the skills and, and like, you know, if you're missing one thing that that card needs, um, you can still take a shot at trying to, uh, to go to ascend, I guess. And, uh, you have to take a risk. So you got a risk die, I guess, right. That you roll mm -hmm. and either your risk pays out or some bad stuff can happen. Yeah? Right. Yeah. So that, I, that mechanic solved a bunch of different issues like one uh it it solved this issue you know one of the feedback 
pieces of feedback I got in play testing was like, you're essentially not playing the game when you rest. Like the game is about moving forward. That's what you're doing on your turn. Um, can you find a way where you minimize resting? Like, can we just get, you know, it, it's necessary because it, it stops the, um, some of the front runners. Um, uh, but, but also I don't want to do it all the time. I don't want to be doing it five times a game. Mm -hmm. So if you're only missing one resource, you can roll the dice. So it, it gives people a choice of whether they want to rest or not and push their luck. For people that like, you know, this is a strategy game, but for people that like that feeling of risk and like games with a little bit more tension, that risk of die provides that. Um, it, it also, because when you lose resources, uh, you give them to another player. You don't just put them in the discard pile. So it also provides this really fun uh, player interaction element where you, it's a conversation of like, well, who should, you should give me the resources because of X, Y, Z, or I gave you stuff last, last round. So I should get those cards from you or don't give it to them. They're winning. So you can um, actually give people cards. You can actually give resources to people. Exactly. Yeah. What if you risk it, but you roll one of the, well, actually two sides of the dice will mean that you're giving things to other players. Mm. So, which also becomes interesting when it's a really competitive game, then it's like, well, do I risk it to go faster? You know, I can move more quickly, but if I lose, then I'm going to be helping my competition. So yeah, it just, it, yeah, it just ends up being this fun mechanic that is completely optional. You know, people that only like straight strategy, no chance, do not have to use it, but yeah. it does usually pay off. So, yeah. That's cool. Can you, like, for my, the sense I'm getting is there's not too much take that in this, or if any, um, but can you purposely block something? Can you literally block something to keep them from moving a turn? Because I noticed you can't go on somewhere you've already climbed. And you can't occupy uh, a spot that someone else is currently on. So is there a situation where you can literally kind of climb in, in a direction that blocks somebody off and they have to kind of wait until you kind of pass or? Yeah, that's where most of the blocking happens. And I alluded to this earlier, like yeah. if you're waiting for someone to move off of the tile that you want to get onto and then they rest, uh, then it, it, then it does become like, okay, well I've now I'm giving up two turns to get onto this tile, I should probably just move somewhere else. Yeah. Um, you can move somewhere else. I guess there's always yes, to move somewhere else. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's also, it becomes more interesting because the first, the, the player order changes every round. And so you kind of have, you really have to think about what order you're going to be playing in or who's going before you to anticipate like, okay, I think they're going to move off of that before it's my turn or no, they're going to go after me. So I have to figure out something else to do, but it is all, it is all soft blocking. You know, they'll eventually move so off of it, but you'll not, get less points. So you're not cutting anybody's rope, for example. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah, it just didn't seem to be in the spirit of climbing. There's in climbing, there's very little interaction it is yeah. basically just that of that someone else is on your route um and it is much more about like helping people but you might be inconvenienced mm. um so a lot of those a lot of those um situations are 
embedded into those climbing cards, those event cards. And that's any time that there was this like moral choice, there are these summit beta tokens. Beta is like advice um, that you, you know, if I've never climbed it before, but you would have, I would say, do you have any beta? And then you would be like, oh yeah, the hardest part is up towards the top. It, it's this kind of feature, but you can get in gear, you know, that's what you would say. Or like, uh, just stay to the left, go as far left as you can. That's what beta is. So there's uh, these tokens that kind of, if you do the right thing, you can get one and it's always a good thing. Or if you're going to be selfish, then you might, then you'll get, you'll get something else and, and lose something else. Um, your decision to do the head wall reveal thematically, I like it because it's kind of thing where, well, you wouldn't really see kind of your path until you kind of get up to that upper ledge. Um, but was part of that to prevent people from planning too far ahead or what was kind of the thought process? process yeah. That? So yeah, I, that exactly. It did used to be like one big mountain. You could see the whole thing. And yeah. um, there were a couple issues with that. Exactly what you said. People tried to plan too far in advance and then they weren't really engaged. The other issue um, was when the entire mountain is connected, you would get into these traffic jams. Um, where like you kind of started on the wrong side of the board or like everybody started on one side of the board and there was like no way to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And so by splitting the mountain in half and introducing this ledge, which um, once you get up to that middle feature, you can, uh, if you think of it as a literal ledge, you could just go up there and then walk over to another side of the mountain. And that's exactly do what we do when we climb. Um, so that added some mobility as well, um, just to reduce those, those traffic jams. And, um, and then also it, it plays more, I think it makes the objectives a lot more interesting mm -hmm. you, um, because you're, all of those objectives are trying to climb a certain combination of pitch types. Um, and not seeing those from the outset means that you're making decisions in the beginning or kind of like taking a chance of, well, I hope there's a lot more of those up at the top, but you don't know. So you'll have to change up your strategy potentially. Certainly it's a lot, lot less intimidating, I would say, right? Like when you have a board that has like all these pieces and you can see each one of them has, you know, five different things you have to do to unlock it. I mean, it can be overwhelming, right? To come in and especially if the first time playing a game and you see all the stuff kind of in front of you. So it's almost like climbing, you're biting off little pieces as you go, right? You're not having to kind of consume it all in one, in one shot. Yeah, exactly. I really love these, um, uh, the way you track where you've gone. And I'm, again, I'm sharing the screen for people watching where you've got these ropes that you place down on the uh, the tiles that you've left, your, your hexes that you've left. So when you see after several rounds somebody's playing, you can actually see the, the ropes going up the mountain, uh, the way they've, they've tracked and other people going over top of their ropes and going maybe a different angle and stuff like that. I thought that was pretty clever. Was that something that you always knew you were going to have in there? Or is that something that you kind of more of necessity of a way of tracking that you just said, okay, well, why don't we make it ropes? Yeah, so I feel like the what you're using to track while you climb has changed almost more than anything else in the game. I've just gone through so many, so many iterations, like things that stacked, um, you know, things that you flipped over. I don't know why it took me so long to get to rope, um, which we are hoping to actually make out of cord, which I think will be yeah. a lot cooler than little cardboard pieces. That'd be cool. But, um, 
but people kept on asking for rope. Like they just kept on uh, introducing it and, you know, they wanted it somewhere. And um, the pieces that I originally wanted things that stack and the manufacturer like could not figure out how to do that. So, so we were, so we went, went to rope, which I think was just great. But one of my, one of the reasons for that is that I, I really do not like games where you can tell the entire time who's winning. And one of the things that you're focusing on is not what am I going to do next necessarily, but more of this feeling of anxiety of how many points am I behind? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I was very, from the beginning, very much against having, um, you know, something that you're tracking your score as you play. Um, And I also always forget to do it with certain games, like unless there is a round, you know, a round where everybody is doing their points, like I just never remember to do it. So I wanted it to be like possible to figure out what, who was in the lead, you know, but it was going to take a little bit of effort. You have to want to do that. And I think it also makes it um, a better playing experience for Mm people that are it's their first time or maybe maybe this is a little bit heavier of a game than they would normally play they can kind of be content playing this game with zero strategy and zero care of who's winning and still have a great time um and still very much play the game so ticket ride kind of reminds me a bit of that like the scoring mechanism where you can technically you know track your score as you go but we never do because we always lose track. And then it's like, okay, how many points did I count all my points? Did I not count all my points? So usually at the end, we'll just take turns and say, okay, let's count the blue. Now let's count the yellow. Let's count the black. Usually have a general idea of who might be in the lead based on the amount of track they've laid, but you really don't know till the very end, which is kind of cool. So now that you've created this game, and I would say that you've got kind of the, the perfect uh, triad, right? So you're a graphic designer, you're an artist, You've got some, you know, business background as well. So that you've kind of got the sweet spot for creating a board game, right? Because most people who are doing games have to go and outsource that themselves, outsource one of those pieces. So congrats on that. That's awesome. And I just have to <laughs> yeah. say, I saw you've got 265 printed pieces that I counted. I don't know how much of that's unique artwork, but I think probably most of it. So just the sheer amount of artwork in this game if you're going to hire somebody to do that, it would be, uh, it'd be very costly. Right? <laughs> not, so, not happening. It would, yeah. It would so I think happen. probably the number of pieces in here have a little bit to do with who's actually doing the actual designs and congrats on that. What is the next kind of evolution for you on this? So you've got this game, you've matched up, you know, your passion, which is, you know, climbing, you know, you've done your one game. Now, is there going to be more games coming or are you going to look at other themes or kind of where's your head at? Or is it kind of like just a one-shot deal, this uh, this game? Yeah, I don't want to, yeah, I, I really like this this industry. Like I feel, I feel like the people that I've met, it's just such a cool community. Like I don't see myself like, okay, did my thing now, bye. Um, yeah. But I don't, I don't have any games um in the works. I, like I said, I'm always kind of doing side projects. So I am kind of looking ahead to, um, to what the the next project is, but I'm not sure it'll be a board game, but I would like to stay engaged and maybe take on a a smaller project (laughs) as the next, as the next board game, maybe it'll be a a little simpler, just helping out someone else with their 
campaign, but uh, we'll see. Just trying to get through this one first. <laughs> What's the biggest piece of advice you'd have for someone that is doing a game for the first time that uh, you kind of learned along the way here? Well, I think it's really important to, I, I think there's two things is one, have like, it's not really enough to just say, oh, I want to make a game that's fun. Like you'd be very specific about the feelings that you want to create or the mm -hmm. feelings that you want to stay away from. And I felt like every time, you know, you'll get so much feedback in play testing and it can be hard to kind of like parse out what is right for the game. Yeah. And if you just keep going back to like, well, I, you know, I think that mechanic is going to create this feeling that I, I said I didn't want to do, or that actually contributes to what that's going to move me in the right direction. I think having that, it, it just helps make decision so much easier. You know, it, it just creates like a right answer for, for things um, that I, that I think helped me a lot, especially when I wasn't sure what to do next. Yeah. Um, and I think that the second thing I would say is that just remember everything in your game is a message. Um, so be very purposeful with what, um, you know, what, what does the artwork look like? Who is on the artwork? What, um, you know, what messages are you sending with that? You have all of these tools at your disposal to create a world. So just be very purposeful, especially if you're creating an alternate world mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, something that's in the future. You are telling people what you think the future looks like and not including people in that future or, um, yeah, not including people in that future sends the wrong message. Um, so just be very purposeful with, with each element of your game and all of those things coming together are ultimately going to create a very rich and immersive experience. Um, so, so yeah, that's what I would say. That's great advice. I find when, um, with game design specifically, when you're sourcing feedback from people, right. And play testing, um, feedback is great because it's free, right? So there's no cost to get feedback. So I always encourage people to get as much feedback as you can say, thank you. Right. I appreciate it. The person I appreciate the feedback. Thank you. And make sure you're taking notes so that you can reflect on it later, but then reflect on it. Not all advice is going to be right for your game. Not all advice is, uh, is great advice. I mean, often you will have people who are going to try to give you advice that turns into something that's not right. Like it's not advice. It's them trying to create a game that they want versus the game they're looking at. Right. So it's a bit of a delicate balance. And, and the, I think the skill is doing that in a way that, uh, you're appreciative uh, and, uh, and, and opening up for people to, to, to give that feedback without getting too offended. Cause sometimes the feedback can be pretty tough, right. And you might hear some <laughs> things you don't want to hear. I've been there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've had some better responses than others, but, um, usually it's, 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 it's always thank you, right. Thank you for the feedback. The times when I get most frustrated. And again, I don't let it manifest until after when I'm by myself is when the feedback is like, well, you should do this. And it's like, okay, but that's not the game. That's <laughs> that game over there. This is the right. game I'm trying to create. Right. So 
that's a good thing about board games. There's so many different styles and, and mechanics and, and types of play that people want, right? So the, the last thing you want to do is get somebody, for instance, who hates card games to be a play tester on your card game because they're not going to give it the open mind and they're not going to ultimately be the audience that's going to buy that game anyways, right? So you're best suited to try to find the people to kind of fit the niche of what you're trying to create. So, and I think you've done that beautifully at this game. I, I love the fact that, you know, all the things I've read so far is everybody echoes the same sentiment, which is that this game is true to the theme, right? If you've never rock climbed in, in, in your life, but you play this game, you're going to have an idea of what some of the terminology is, right? Some of the, the steps, some of the processes you go through. Uh, I was learning words and I was reading, I'm like, you know, uh, like uh, arete or arets is one of the, the cards. I'm <laughs> yep. like, okay, let's learn a new term, right? You know, off ballet is another one. So, you know, I think, it, I think you've done a great job in thematically putting something out there that I think people are really going to enjoy. Clearly a lot of replayability in uh, the feedback. Also, you're getting online with the different reviewers and so forth. So I, I just can't wait to see this come out and quite frankly, see where you guys land. This is going to be awesome. So I want to wish you all the best in this coming year and I can't wait to see where the campaign goes. Yeah. Thank you. Very no, excited. No worries. <laughs> off ballet. Yeah, off ballet. This has been an episode of the board game binge podcast hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.